Welcome to Dementia Caregivers Community. We're here to connect, encourage, and inspire you while on your journey of dementia caregiving. I'm Tracy Wilson with Alzheimer's Tennessee. With me, co-host Marquita Puckett. We are introducing to you this episode, a series of episodes entitled The Caregiver's Journey. Through the next couple minutes and through the next couple months, you will meet caregivers just like yourselves that are encouraging and inspiring others to find hope, help, and support during the course of their particular caregiving journey. Today, we would like to introduce you to Mr. Al Hammond. Al is going to spend a little bit of time with us today share his particular story in regards to his beautiful wife, Ellen. So Marquita and Al, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Al, thank you for being here today and thank you for being open and willing to share your story. As a co-family caregiver, Tracy and myself, we understand the emotional impact it has on the caregiver and it trickles down throughout all the family and friends. But I also um, feel that when we share our stories, we can inspire others who are on the same path. And I can remember, Al, when my journey first started, I would listen to other people's stories on a podcast and I would just walk and cry because I was so relieved that someone else was going through and feeling the feelings that I was feeling. So, Al, thank you for your willingness. And we just want to start out by asking you, how did you meet? And tell us a little bit of background story about you and your wife, Ellen. Sure. Um, I met my wife in 1975. Um we were in Florida at the time. I was at a music store where Ellen also worked. I was going to be working there and I was waiting to meet with one of the owners. And I'm sitting at the back of the store and next to me is a grand piano. And if you can imagine, all of the white keys are gone from this white piano or from this grand piano, they're working on it. And so there's a grand piano there with nothing but black keys on it. And Ellen walked in through the door looking very cute. And she uh, looked down at the piano and said, oh, cool. And she dropped her purse and sat down at this piano with nothing but black keys on it and started ripping off the Chopin black key etude. She's an accomplished pianist. And I was just blown away. I thought this this girl's got possibilities. So uh, at any rate, that's, that's how we first met. And that was in 1975. Oh, that, that is a great story. And it tells us so much about who she is inside. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm sure there was a courtship and then you were married. Correct. We were married in 1976. So we're coming up on 47 years of marriage and, have been a couple for 47 already. So it's been, it's been quite a journey. So Al, would you describe her as someone, um, cause you know, 47 years ago, the, the image that we have of the woman's role in society, in the home, would you describe her as like the homemaker or was she the gal who worked and kept a home? Uh, was she a mom? How, how would you describe her during that time? Um, she had her hands full. She worked 
outside the home. She had uh, three boys from a previous wow. marriage. So she was taking care of them on a part-time basis, plus working. And uh, it was uh, juggling a lot of balls for her. Something tells me, though, she did it with much pizzazz. <laughs> she, she did. She's funny. She's uh, very quiet, very shy, and yet has a strong backbone. So uh, when she gets to a certain point, you know, you've crossed a line with her <laughs> and you don't mess around anymore after that. So you guys, you get married, you start blending your family. She's working, you're oh. working, you know, you're just doing what all of us do, right? When we choose that, that path of being married, but obviously something started happening. And could you sort of walk us up to that time and then what you started seeing or someone else maybe started seeing? Uh, I don't know if I was one of those that I saw it, but I was quiet about it and was thrilled when someone else finally pointed out the changes they saw in my husband. How did that part of the journey look for you? It's so difficult for me to look back and pinpoint a time when this happened. I would say maybe 10 or 11 years ago, I started noticing some changes in her. She did our personal finances and she would just sit and stare at the computer screen. I'd gotten her a piece of software so that she could keep it up to date. And all she had to do is press a button and it would automatically reconcile the, uh, the checking and savings accounts and so forth. But she would just sit there and stare at the screen. I thought, boy, this is odd. And at that point, I thought, okay, let me just take this back over from you, and you don't have to worry about it anymore, and, and I'll do that. And there became more and more instances where she would sort of get lost in her own time. There was forgetfulness. There was a lot of repetition. Memory time lapses became shorter and shorter, and it, it was apparent to me that, that something was clearly going on. She was going to doctor's appointments. She'd come back out and I'd ask her what happened and she had no idea what was going on. And at that point, and this was probably eight, nine years ago, I started going to all of her doctor's appointments with her. We were very fortunate that her physician was spectacular. And at one of the appointments I was with her asked, I asked the doctor if he would take me on as a patient so that he could view us as a package deal and he would understand kind of both sides of the equation. And fortunately, he was willing to do that. And from that point on, I really feel like we were blessed because we had one person who was overlooking both of our health and saw us in a totality and was able to deal with us that way. You bring up a good point, Al, because I've always said dementia is everybody's disease, not just the person who gets it. And Tracy is out in the field all the time, and I know she sees that over and over. It's not like when someone gets a cold and they just have the cold and they're the only one affected by it. Dementia affects the household. And I love it that you said we're a package deal. And we go together, and especially if you knew you were going to be the one providing the care for her. So in your relationship, having said that, did you have any idea 
what you were going to be getting the diagnosis of? No, I really didn't. I could see things going downhill, and there is a lot of dementia slash Alzheimer's in her family, but you never think it's going to happen to you, and never to that great of an extent. But we ended up going to a neuropsychologist as a referral from our physician, and at that point, they started being able to quantify what was going on in her mind and determine the level of memory loss, the onset of the dementia, and sort of gave us a prelude to the journey that we were getting ready to head on. Although at the time, as you well know, it's very difficult to get your head around that. Mm -hmm. Al, I have a couple of questions. One, remind us how old was Ellen when you started noticing those first signs and symptoms? She was probably in her early 70s when I first started noticing these symptoms, these triggers. She's now 83. This has been quite a long journey for us. It's like death by paper cuts because it happens so slowly and you just you kind of deal with it. And again, you don't know where you're heading in the journey, but you understand that you're on it, whether you want to be or not. I mean, this is the club nobody wants to be a member of. You know, it's interesting that you use that phrase. I had a coworker for about seven years that said, it's a club nobody wants to join, but if they have to join it, they're thankful there are other members. So that's that's interesting. The other question I wanted to ask is you mentioned within your journey that Ellen had always managed the family finances and began struggling some with that. So they were taken over and assumed by you when she began having those difficulties. Two part. One is how was the response to that? And number two, did Ellen ever verbalize having difficulties? Is that something she was aware of or spoke about? That's a great question. As far as turning over control of the finances, she was actually happy to do that. It took it off of her plate and there was nothing going on. But as the disease continues on, she becomes more and more aware that she's losing her faculties. And the real gut punch came to me probably five years ago when she was sitting on the edge of the bed, realizing that she's losing her mind and she's bawling. And she said, I, I'm, I'm losing it. I just, I can't keep doing the things that I used to do anymore. And she was very much aware of it. And I think at that time, that was really became a turning point for her and for me that things were really going downhill and her awareness of it was just a heartbreak for me because there was nothing I could do to console her. It was just, I'll be here. We'll figure this out. We'll take it a day at a time. Onward we go. I, I hear what you say and understand about it's uh, one thing you deal with it and then you keep going and it's another thing. But as a spouse, you know, with children, they'll say, well, dad or mom forgot who I am. And that was like the moment. And as you're saying, seeing her sitting there on that side of the bed and you couldn't console her as a husband, 
you could only offer her encouragement. Was there a time when you realized being a husband, my role of a, as a husband is probably going to change? I think there was. And again, as you go through this, you don't know at what point. There's not a roadmap for this, Marquita. As you know, you dive in and you do the best that you can at that particular point. I knew the roles were changing, but I wasn't sure, A, how I was going to handle it, and B, how she was going to accept me handling it, and I guess C, how we were going to work through it together. Can you give us some examples of some things that you did that help you navigate during those challenging times? And I know it's still challenging, but that particular time when she begins to realize it? Yeah, actually, I, I didn't cope with it well in the beginning, very honestly. It was, it was very difficult for me. I was in the process of losing my best friend and the person with whom I could have conversations about anything. She became very repetitive in her speech. I became so frustrated. We lived our life with with sticky notes. I feel like I kept 3M in business. Underneath the placemat at the table, I would have a whole series of sticky notes because she would ask me, what time does the parade start? When are we going out? When's the game start? What time do we need to leave? And so I'd reach under my placemat, pull out the appropriate sticky note and slap it down in front of her. I did it with a smile on my face as long as I could, but I became very frustrated in that process too, because I felt like I couldn't get through anymore. And at that point, things really change from my perspective. And just as a little bit of background to me, I had spent off and on over 20 years working as a hospice patient family volunteer. So I had gone into situations and households that were really upsetting for the people that were living there. And when you would go into these households, you could just sort of feel there was a pall when you walked in the front door. There was just a heaviness. And I started feeling that in my own home. And that's pretty disturbing. Working with my sticky notes, working with her, it didn't stop my frustration. I couldn't get far enough away from it because unlike in my, my hospice experience, this is my wife. This this is somebody here. Tracy and I have talked about this. I think a lot of caregivers are kind of control freaks. You want to be able to, to manage the situation. You want to control the situation. And with this disease, at whatever level it's happening, you can't. And, and I've mentioned the aha moment that I had, and this came later than the period that we're talking about, was when I realized I'm trying to have a rational conversation with somebody who is no longer rational. And at that point, you kind of step back and go, okay, what's the next game plan? How do we go on from here? How do we move forward? My frustration became more of a getting an acceptance of what the situation was and how I was going to deal with it. And we would just move on from there. I amen everything you just said, Al. And it's, for me, it was almost like the undercurrent, everything you just said was the word survival. You've always felt like you were surviving something that was greater than you. And some days you felt great confidence and other days 
totally overwhelmed by it. It really wouldn't matter to me if he was having a good day or a bad day. Like you say, it, it had already started hanging in the air. And so you were just moving, trying to move in that environment. I don't know about you, feelings uh, sort of took on a roller coaster ride there for a while. Did you put anything in place for you at that time as an individual to help navigate your emotions or your feelings of, I need a break? Yes, it was not too long after the time period that we're talking about that I got involved with an Alzheimer's support group that was very near my house. Ellen slept a lot during this period and she slept pretty reliably until 11 or 12 o'clock before she would get up and I found an Alzheimer's support group that was very close to me and I could meet with this group at nine in the morning so I could go up there and spend an hour hour and a half in the group get back home and it would still be before she woke up so that worked out for me but I realized that I needed to reach out as you mentioned, Marquita, you need to talk to somebody else that's in this situation. Two interesting things happened when I started attending this meeting. One of them was that a gentleman who was very experienced in the caregiving process, had been involved in it a long time, made the comment that, well, you know, 60% of caregivers don't outlive the patients that they're caring for. I just about crawled over the table and went at him. This was not what I was there to hear. So, so that was one of the things that happened. The other thing that happened is the lady who was facilitating this particular group, we had met several times. I talked about my wife and I said, you know, I don't think I've ever shown you a picture of my wife. And so I got out my phone, I showed her a picture of my wife and this lady said, oh my God, that's Ellen. And Ellen as a pianist had volunteered her time at memory care units and facilities around the city to play piano. Sometimes it was sing-alongs that she would perform with another gentleman who would do the sing-alongs. Sometimes she performed as what she called a potted plant pianist. So they would have an event going on and she would provide just kind of the background music in this. So ironically, she was involved and this lady who was facilitating the group, had hired my wife to come in and do these performances at the various uh, community centers around Johnson City, where we live. Small world. Great story, Al. And I can tell you right now, I'm already in love with her. I already love your wife. I already yeah. love her. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to sound a little odd, but I think you'll understand. Do you find yourself wanting to keep the Ellen that you fell in love with alive through talking about her with other people? I do. I'm fond of telling the story of how we met. I look at her now, Marquita, and it's been almost a year since she went into an assisted living facility and she's in a memory care unit there. And as I watch her decline there, I still look into her eyes and I still try to find the girl that I met 47 years ago and she's there. She's just harder to find now, but yeah, it's, it's very difficult to go there. 
you keep trying to keep those feelings alive as much as you can. When Mike finally had to go into uh, memory care placement, I loved telling his story. And I wanted everyone that came in his room, I wanted them to know this is Mike. This is Mike Puckett. We weren't from this area, obviously. We had moved just for him to go into this memory care. I don't know. It just helped me to cope with what was going on. It helped me cope with the loss better. And then, but you you and I both know, Al, now that you're going into a facility, there are some family members, and this is not a judgment call, just an observation that they, no, they can't do that. They already see this loved one as gone and they don't want to look in those eyes that it's harder for them to keep that connection have you seen that since you've done your placement with ellen i have she has three sons one of whom doesn't want to see her because he wants to remember her the way she was so to him you know she's already gone another son helped out for a while providing respite time for me he would come up and spend a couple of days so that I could get away. And the other son has been really instrumental in her care since she's gone into the assisted living. We do FaceTime. We do conversations with her. He and I have become much closer in this. But as far as what's happening with her and their acceptance of it, again, I go back to the hospice training that I did and you're in a twilight zone, as you know, Marquita, you're in a grieving process. You're going through the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression, the acceptance, and you don't go through them in order and you don't go through them once and tick them off and, and move on from there. So you're just sliding back and forth. And as far as the survival aspect of this, I'd say I'm probably closer to the toggling between depression and acceptance right now in terms of dealing with her on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's, it's a twilight zone. Yeah, but it's a great strength, Al, that you can articulate that, that you can recognize it and use your self-awareness and articulate that. And I guess for, for Trace and I, that was one of the goals of the sharing the caregiver's journey, that it would encourage others to do just that be self-aware of where this journey is and where you are on the journey yes we know where the journey can take the patient the loved one with this disease but as a caregiver to try to be self-aware of where am i can i articulate that can can i somehow maybe not process it but realize it that's a good thing that's a good thing Right. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, it has been for me to, again, understand the process and what's going on with me as a good control freak and trying to trying to take care of this whole situation. Another big turning point for me was that about six years ago, when Ellen was still at home, I had a stroke. I had a mild stroke. I was very fortunate. I drove myself to the hospital against advice. I went in for a check and they wanted to keep me overnight. And I said, you know, that's not an option. I've got to get back and take care of her. I came back home, was able to drive myself back. That was another moment where I realized that I'm it around here. I have one very good friend in town that I've done a lot of work with over the years. And I have a wonderful neighbor across the street who is always willing to pitch in when times go bad on you. 
But again, going back to the facilitator of the group that I was going, she asked me one time after the stroke, she said, if you had a stroke and were not able to get up, how long would it be before somebody understood that you were incapacitated? And so the this good friend of mine and I decided that we would start an early morning text back and forth, just a good morning, everything okay, and just checking in with each other just to make sure that things were okay with me. Wow, what a blessing. Yeah. Yeah, to find those that will stay with you in the thick of it, that that's a true blessing, a true blessing. Yeah, so, so tell us, where are you now? So how many years did you say? Nine years, 10 years almost you've been on the journey? That's probably a good guess. And again, I can't look back at it and point to something on the calendar and say, this is where it happened. But you see the slow decline all the way along and you see it building and building and building. And yeah, I mean, 10 years is probably a good, good shot, good estimate. I think it's safe to speak for both of us here, Al and to encourage other caregivers by saying it really doesn't matter if it's two years or 10 years, it's the journey. Everyone's degree of difficulty is to be appreciated and everyone's degree of abilities is to be accepted. I'm just curious, I just wanna ask you, emotionally and physically, have you seen a change in you? I'm sure there was a change in Ellen after you had her placed in this assisted living. Has there been a physical or emotional change in you since you've done the placement? And that's been what, a year, did you say? Yeah, coming up on a year, be a year at the end of this month, in fact. Mm -hmm. I fight depression more now than I have in the past. And it's hard to get your head around but i had started doing some respite visits and there were two different facilities in johnson city area that i would put her in for a week i'd drop her off on monday pick her up on friday and i thought wow what a relief i can do this and yet when i would drop her off there's still sort of that black cloud that you know am i doing the right thing by dropping her off for my own sake um I guess at one level, I knew that I really needed these breaks and she didn't really understand what was going on when she would go to the respite things. It was just like, I would take her, drop her off and I tell her I would have to go out of town. I had to go on a trip because I traveled a lot in my work. And uh, so that was something that she understood. So she would just do it. And toward, <laughs> toward the end of March last year, I had put her in the facility where she's now residing and she was in a double room with another woman and she got into an argument with the other woman that she was living with. The other woman's family became very upset. And so I received a call from the facility and the gentleman told me, look, I've got to move her out of there. We can't leave her there. I'm going to put her in our last available private room that's down the hall and she'll be there if you need to come and see her pick her up she's going to be down the room and i thought for a moment and i thought wait a minute the planets just aligned you have one 
private room left. You're moving my wife into that private room. Take her. That's her room now. And that was the point at the end of March that I said, okay, she's there now. She's yours. Very difficult decision to make. And yet it just seemed, like I said, like the planets lined up. Everything was the way that it was supposed to be. It took the decision making away from me, which I was really happy about. It's worked out quite well. I mean, that in itself is a process, getting somebody acclimated to an assisted living facility, and in particular, a memory care unit. Al, I, Tracy and I say sometimes, some decisions are just made for you. And like you say, you're so relieved when that happens. And when the decision to place a loved one in a memory care facility, when that time finally comes, I never want anyone to be deceived that, oh, great, this was the easy part. For me, it was almost like starting the journey over again, but just at a different place. It was just a whole other set of emotional challenges for me. <laughs> Absolutely, Marquita. I mean, I, I tell anybody that wants to listen, and I've told the physician that I traded one sack of rocks for another. Exactly. You know? <laughs> it was. Now, I, I, now Al, I got to tell you, I did start appreciating the ability to go to bed at night and not have to worry about another human being in the house. But that took quite a while. That took quite a while. But those type of things I grew to appreciate. Uh, But then you get the other that comes along with it. Just so you know, I'm called the clipboard lady. (laughs) Because then you start worrying, well, is he getting good sleep? Is he sleeping? because you can't tell for sure because you're not there I I just want to ask this question before I forget it and then Tracy I'm sure has some if someone asked me about my husband and I would say to them over and over even when they wouldn't ask (laughs) I would say I fell in love with the kindest man I've ever met in my life and I was very fortunate Uh, Mike stayed that way through the 10 years plus of his disease and unfortunately his father passed from Alzheimer's and Mike's dad had just turned 60 and he he had a flip-flop he was very violent Mike stayed very calm and kind so that's my great takeaway from my story but my question is when you look in that those eyes what is it that you still love and will always love about Ellen she has the driest kind of kind of a weird sense of humor and every once in a while when I'm looking at her her eyes will twinkle and I see that and I know what's coming and it it warms me because at that point I can see the the girl from 47 years ago and it's still there it's harder to get to but it's still there and that will always be yours Al I just want you to know that will that no disease no disease can take that away from you no it's it's great going back to having her into the facility you're talking about being able to sleep at night i mean when she was here at home i was sleeping with one foot on the floor we slept in separate rooms just for a number of different reasons but i'd hear her up in the middle of the night and she was having auditory hallucinations she thought somebody was at the door she was looking 
for the children that she was supposed to be taking care of. She was making up beds on all of the couches and love seats in the house upstairs and down so that when the people arrived, they would have a place to sleep. It was such a bizarre time. She was leaving notes around for people in the house. And those sorts of things are gone now, partly through the medication regime that she's on, which took care of an awful lot of that, but also being in the facility. And, and moving into the facility, as you know, Marquita, that's, that's not a, okay, check it off the list, because okay. that's a process in and of itself for her to become acclimated and comfortable in that situation. I started after she was placed there going quite frequently, and I realized this is a bad idea, because she became more confused as to why she was there. And I had to cut my visits back to once a week for a while. And if I saw her more than that, it would be more confusing and upsetting to her. At this point in the process, I see her two or three times a week. And I can walk into her bathroom, walk back out, and she'll say, oh, what? when did you get here? <laughs> so if she dozes off to sleep, I, I walk out of the room and she doesn't know that I was there, but I was. And, and that works out for me. All right, Al, I do have one final question for you. What piece of advice or little golden nugget would you share with those out there in your situation? Or maybe they're just at the beginning of your journey to give them a little bit more help, hope, and inspiration. I guess I would encourage people to share as much as they can with their closest circle of friends. I don't have a lot of people locally, but I have a lot of people that I count on to talk and reach out to. I think another important thing is to reach out to support groups. I was fortunate enough to be involved in support groups with Alzheimer's Tennessee, and they provided me a lot of clarity and a way to connect with other people that are part of this journey. That was very important for me. So I would encourage everybody to reach out no matter where you are, look up your local support groups and take advantage of that. You hit on some of the most important, and of course they would be the most important things anyway, because they are a part of your story. But I think to always remember that our loved one, no matter what the relationship, and I think a, a spousal relationship definitely poses more issues probably. And there might be some people that don't like hearing that, but you know, having other family members with a dementia subtype, I know that it's spouses are different. They're our person. And so I think that you hit on several different things. And one of the biggest is that the person is still there. Sometimes we have to look a little harder and sometimes we have to uh, see those. A lot of people call them golden moments, silver moments, whatever you want to call them. But we have to look a little harder and a little deeper, but they are still there. And I think that through the course of your your journey and, and your sharing that you've brought up several different things that need a, an entire episode on their own. And I look forward to getting back together with you and being able to do that. But I just want to echo what Marquita said. We're thankful and blessed that you chose to spend your time with us today and you chose to share your story. A lot of, not to be sexist, but there, there are a lot of uh, 
male people out there that just don't feel extremely open or comfortable discussing anything that remotely comes to a feeling. And it is okay. You know, I think as a society, we have for many, many years are, are working on making that a little better. But I think that sometimes you're at a loss of, of who to speak with and, and if it is okay, in fact, to open up and be vulnerable with people. So thank you so much. And as always at Dementia Caregivers Community, we want you to be encouraged because we care about you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dementia Caregivers Community Podcast. You can learn more about the podcast at alztennessee.org slash podcast. Please review us on your podcast player. It helps other caregivers find the community. And please join us for the next episode.